0: When Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, the devil succeeded in one of the worst transactions in history. Mankind gave up pure innocence in exchange for a crippling injury that all of us have endured, and that is shame. We're going to be talking all about that on today's episode of Real Talk. Let's get into it. Welcome back to another episode of Real Talk with Kane Adams. In fact, we are at our final episode of the season and it's been a great ride. I hope that you've been really enjoying it. Episode number 10, we are talking about shame and we are on part two of our little mini series on guilt versus shame. And last week, uh, we talked about exactly that, the difference between guilt and shame. What's the difference between guilt and shame? Uh, We talked about how guilt is like a, uh, it's an internal warning system that's inherent inside of each and every one of us created by God that lets us know that we've transgressed a moral law uh, or that we've done something wrong. And it's not, um, well, it's not a warning in in, in kind of a tyrant authoritarian sense, you know, like God is saying, aha, what you have done is wrong. You must repent or you will pay the price. Um, But it's it's not this kind of... um, this, this authoritarian, but it's more this this uh, warning inside of us that lets us know that we are on the wrong path, and that if we continue to go down that path, that it's only going to hurt us, and that it's only going to bring us to destruction. And so, guilt, known in th- is is known in theological terms as conviction, and we talked about that. The design of guilt is to lead us towards repentance. It gives us the opportunity to 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 repent and to get back on the path. Uh, of, of of living the life that God has designed us to live. Shame, on the other hand, occurs when we fail to repent. Remember that quote? We talked about it, how shame occurs when guilt is left unattended. Uh, and so what it does is, uh, what shame does is it takes what we have done and it connects it to our identity, creates a bridging connection. And we talked about that. I remember how we talked about the... um. The, the the difference in the statement. So guilt says, uh, "I've done something wrong," whereas shame says, "And what an awful person I must be to have done it." Guilt is about our actions; shame is about our identity. Uh, shame is known in theological terms as con- a condemnation. Condemnation. The design of shame is to disconnect us from those that we love. It's to warp our perception. Uh, of who we are and to wear us down and to destroy our lives, basically. Uh, That's the design of shame. So it's safe to say that although guilt is from God and designed by him, that shame is absolutely not from God. It's a lie and it is something that we must reject at all costs. So that was last week. Um, A neat little acronym, which I actually forgot to mention last week, uh, from Jim Kress, uh, the counselor that I was talking about last week, uh, and, he, and he says it like this, he says that shame is this, it's S-H-A-M-E, self-hatred at my expense. So shame stands for self-hatred at my expense, because shame is always going to cost you. If you're operating in shame, uh, it's going to cost you of your relationships, it's going to cost you of your health, whether that's physical or mental, it's going to cost you of your meaning, of your. Uh, ultimately it's going to cost you of your fulfillment and your happiness. And so, shame is always self-hatred at my expense. It's not from God, and it's not something that we ought to carry in our lives. Okay? So, today we're going to answer two questions as part of the final episode. We're going to answer number one, how do we know that we're operating in shame? And number two, how do we break free from it? How do we know that we're operating in shame? How do we break free from it? Well... Let's go through them in turn, shall we? Number one, how do we know that we're operating in shame? Shame always brings three things into our lives. uh, And it's a good way to think about it. So shame will always bring disconnection, dissatisfaction, and disqualification. Those three things. It brings disconnection, dissatisfaction, and disqualification. So let's go through each one. Number one, disconnection. Both shame and guilt will always bring a sense of movement into our lives. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, guilt will move us towards God in the form of repentance, whereas uh, shame is designed to move us away from God in defiance. So healthy guilt is always designed to bring us connection. So guilt is there so that we can connect together, so that we can reconcile, whereas shame always pushes disconnection. It always pushes disconnection. And we read this even last week in the in the book of Genesis about Adam and Eve, right? and how when they fell into sin, what was the first thing that they did? They didn't run to God and confess the truth and, and make amends with Him. Oh, uh, they didn't do that at all. What they did was that they hid. They ran away. They realized that they were naked, and so they separated and they disconnected from God, which is quite interesting because that would have been the first time that they'd ever done that. Up until that point, and and we don't know how long You know, people talk about um, Uh, the gap theory, you know, between when Adam and Eve were created to when they first sinned. You know, people say it could have been 10 years, 1,000 years, 100 years, who knows. Um, But we don't know, obviously. But up until that point, Adam and Eve had always walked with God. uh, And they were always in deep connection with Him. And so when sin occurred, this is the first time when they separated from God. They disconnected from Him. They ran away. Why? Um, uh, Because they were ashamed of what they had done. They felt a great sense of shame. And, of course, see, we do the same thing, don't we? Whenever we fall into sin, our first instinct inside of us is to disconnect from God. Uh, And because what happens is we create that bridging connection between our actions and our worth. And so we're too afraid. We're too afraid to approach Him uh, because we are in fear that He's going to condemn us, right? Uh, We've done something wrong. We've broken a moral law. And we're too afraid to approach Him about it because we're afraid that He's going to uh, going to condemn us. Um, but, of course, it's not true. It's not true. And we talked about this last week because we read it in Romans 8, verse 1, that uh, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because He's already condemned Christ on the cross. And because He has done that, it would be unjust for God to require two payments for our sin. Uh, and so, so when we repent... He is He is just and He is loving and faithful enough to forgive us of our sin. And so, uh, and so, yeah. So that's in in terms of that's why I, I suppose we avoid God and we run away from Him because we're afraid of condemnation. And the same can be said about with other people as well. So if we've done something against somebody else, we transgressed moral law against somebody else. We've done somebody else wrong. Uh, our first instinct, again, is not to, to run to them and to confess our what we have done wrong and to make amends. It's not natural for us to do that. If it is natural for you to do that, then you are an absolute saint. But I'd say for the vast majority of us, it is not natural for us to do that. Instead, it's natural for us. Uh, our desire is to hide, to hide away or separate from that person or to cover that sin, to cover our wrongdoing, what we've done uh, against them A- and to to try and either justify it or pretend that uh, that what we did wasn't really wrong or we, we try and cover it right uh, and that's our natural instinct i remember i remember as a kid um whenever i did something wrong i'd always have that instinct to to cover it or to run away as, as i'm sure a lot of kids would uh, and i know that there were a few instances where i had done something really wrong and i can't remember what they are uh, what w- what actually happened but what I do remember is a few instances where I did run away, uh you know I'd run to the park or I'd run to my friend's house to try and escape the judgment of my parents, I suppose, or sometimes I'd hide even just to hide under the deck of the house you know and run away, afraid of judgment and afraid of condemnation and Of course, what would happen is that when I gained well, I'd become lonely first of all, and my heart would yearn for connection, but I'd be so afraid uh, and then when I gained the the, the courage to reconnect and to to come back home what would often happen is that I would receive a rebuke from my parents but the rebuke would not focus so much on what I had actually done wrong but more so on the fact that I'd run away They'd say something along the lines of you know um, we know that you've done what you did initially was wrong uh, but do not disconnect from us don't disconnect from us come and tell us the truth straight away Uh, and and then it would be all hugs and 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 I'm sorry and tears and all sorts and and then everything will be okay, right? It'll be fine. And so that's what shame does. Is it drives us to disconnection. It drives us to isolation, to separate ourselves from those who we love and those who love us. It gives us the feeling that the world can't possibly be okay with me if I'm not even okay with me. So perhaps it's better that I separate. That's the lie that shame will tell you, but it's not true. It's not true. It's an absolute lie um that 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 disconnection is the best path forward if you have done something wrong. It is the, it is the opposite. That if we've done something wrong, we must connect with those that we uh that that love us and, the, and and those who we love. So if you feel like you're running away from God or from people because of something that has happened in your life or something that's currently happening in your life, then that is chances are that's evidence that you are operating in shame. Okay? So that's the first piece of evidence, is disconnection. So disconnection. Number two, dissatisfaction. Shame will always bring a sense of dissatisfaction in our lives. Um, I mean, we read this in Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, like we said last week. When they ate of the fruit, they were expecting this euphoric sense of of revelation and of wisdom and of knowledge and and to feel like gods, basically, to feel like they are no longer men, but they are angels and they are gods. Uh, But of course, what happened is that they experienced the opposite, didn't they? They experienced nothing but shock, despair, and terror when they ate of that fruit. Uh, And sin has always been the same since the garden. It always has never changed. It always over promises and it under delivers. Every time we engage in, with sin uh, or in sin, we are always left dissatisfied every single time. Um, a great quote from from Jim Cress Once again, you'll probably hear a lot of quotes from Jim Cress uh, This is a great quote. And he says, shame is a driving force to get legitimate needs met in an illegitimate way. It's a driving force to get legitimate needs met in an illegitimate way. And, this is so true. You know, this is how, well, this is why I think a lot of people can get stuck in sin cycles or, or shame spirals, um, normally in the form of addiction. You know, you might have someone who, um, a men or a woman, uh, who might not have their intimate needs met or their sexual needs met and so they turn to pornography. Um, or you might have people who... Uh, don't have those connection needs met and so they feel the pain of the loneliness and the isolation and they instead of connecting with real people they turn to drugs or alcohol or gambling or or smoking or or whatever it is to try and take away that pain, right? Uh, and, and 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 so people dealing with that hurt will try and drown it out. Another good quote from Jim Kress uh, in, in, in relation to this is, is he says, Shame is the runway for addiction to take off on. Shame is the runway for addiction to take off on. And again, I think it's very closely to disconnection, like we talked about the first one, is that um, we're desperate, we're so desperate to connect with people, but when we've done something wrong, we become so ashamed of ourselves and so guilty uh, that we're too afraid to become vulnerable. Because in order for connection to take place, and this is important to note, that for genuine connection to take place, it requires us to become vulnerable, to open ourselves up to whoever we're connecting with. Uh, and so when we've done something wrong, we're, f- we're too afraid to be vulnerable. And therefore, we're too afraid to connect. Yet our heart uh, craves connection. We drive for connection. We desire connection. And so what do we do? We go to a counterfeit, right? We look at pornography or we... Drink alcohol and drown our sorrows in that. Or we take drugs, or or, or we, we gamble, or, or we fixate ourselves into things, in, in order to give us a sense of connection, uh, and and yet you know what's interesting is that these things, they do give us a sense of connection for a moment, and for a moment we feel that connection, but it's this kind of faux, false, uh, 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 counterfeit connection, right? And so it's fleeting, and so we we we. You know, take the hit of the drug, or we look at the porn or, or we do whatever, and we f- we sense a connection uh, but it 's fleeting and it goes away and So what do we do? We do it again and we do it again, 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 and then before we know it, an addiction is is formed and so we live our lives um, from going from moment to moment to moment of 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 these fleeting connections that don 't actually exist. <laughs> Uh, and and to try and uh, satisfy our needs uh, But of course it never satisfies uh, So shame is the driving force To get legitimate needs Like connection met In illegitimate ways Always, uh, always um, dissatisfying And you know what It's not just in things That we would consider bad either For example People could be experiencing a lot of shame And so instead of turning to drugs Or alcohol or pornography They would go to something else like Parenting, or their marriage. They might focus on their marriage to try and prove that they're a good person, or focus on their parenting to prove that they're a good husband or wife or mo- uh, mother or father. Uh, or they go to the gym, or 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 they would eat healthy, you know, uh, and and have a strict diet re- regime in order to cover the shame in their lives. But of course, it's never going to work. Uh, it's never going to work, and they're always going to. Let everyone, all of us, when we find ourselves doing those kind of things, we're addicted to social media or whatever it is. Uh, It never satisfies us. We're always left dissatisfied. So if you're feeling extremely dissatisfied with how you're handling life, or what life is giving you, then that's evidence that you would be operating in shame in your life. Okay? Okay, so number one was disconnection. These are pieces of evidence that we are operating in shame. Disconnection, number one. Number two, dissatisfaction. Number three, disqualification. Disqualification. Uh, When we're operating in shame, we are left feeling disqualified all the time. And this one needs a bit of a disclaimer, uh, perhaps from a theological perspective. It needs a disclaimer, because I suppose we can ask the question, right? Does sin disqualify us from receiving the promises of God and from inheriting the kingdom of God? Does sin disqualify us from that? And the answer is yes, it does. How do we know that? Well, because Adam and Eve, when they ate of the fruit... Uh, And they were were shamed. They were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They were banished. And so the answer is yes. The sin stain that we have on our lives from birth disqualifies us from entering the presence of God and having a relationship with him. That is a theological truth that we must understand. But, of course, the story of the gospel is that God loves us far too much to leave us in that state. And that was, um, you know, so for us to be eternally separated from God was not part of his plan and not what he wanted uh, and so he, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for us as a substitute for our sin, to take the debt of, this, of, of, of the sin on our lives, to take that stain of sin upon himself, so that he would be stained ourselves, so that we would be made clean, and we could be reconciled back to God. That's the story of the gospel, right? And we read this in uh, this beautiful uh, cha- uh, verse in Ephesians 1, verse th- 3, verse 7. Ephesians is my favorite book of the Bible, and Ephesians 1, I think, is my favorite chapter. And he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace. And this is the part I want to make emphasis on. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. We are accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And so, in sin alone we are disqualified, but in Christ alone we are made qualified uh, before God and him. Okay, But here's the thing, is that shame doesn't want you to know that. Shame does not want you to know that. Shame will always bring a sense of disqualification with no hope. See, there's a difference between saying, because of my sin, God is unable to accept me, which is theologically true, compared to, Because of my sin, God is unwilling to accept me, which is theologically false. See, and this is, again, kind of like with guilt and shame. This is where the difference between the two. This is where you've got to be able to distinguish this, because this is the kind of ground that that shame likes to play in, you know? Um And the devil likes to play in just taking a sense of truth and just twisting it enough so that it sounds true, but it's not. So the former, um, because of my sin, God is unable to accept me, that deals with God's law. Because of our sin, he's unable to accept us. But of course, he loves us too much, like I mentioned before, to leave us in that state. So that's the story of the gospel, so that he made a way so that we could reconnect with him, right? Uh, Whereas the second statement, uh, because of my sin, God is unwilling to accept me, that's different because that's dealing with God's character that's saying that no matter what he will not accept us and 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 because of what we've done we've diminished our worth and we've diminished our value like we talked about last week so so that's where shame comes in and causes you to feel disqualified despite the forgiveness of your sin through Jesus Christ so shame will feel you shame will cause you to feel disqualified despite your forgiveness uh, shame says I understand. Uh, perhaps subconsciously, I understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin, but his death wasn't enough. I must still atone for my own sin. That's shame. When you're attempting to do a, to atone for your own sin because you're so embarrassed and so ashamed uh, from what you've done. So, if you're feeling just totally disqualified before God, despite the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ, then that's evidence that you're operating in shame. Okay? How do we know we're operating in shame? Number one, disconnection. Number two, dissatisfaction. Number three, disqualification. Great. Okay, so here's a question that we've all been wondering. How do we break free from from shame? We are experiencing shame. We have lies going through our head, whizzing around. How do we break free from it? Okay? Um, I want to target this. Well, I want to attack this from from two angles. I want to take a look at it from a therapeutical angle, from a therapeutical perspective and from a theological perspective. And that's like I've mentioned before, which I'm sure you're familiar with. This is the point of the podcast, is it's therapy and theology, right? Bringing the, marrying the two together. So let's take a look at it. How do we break free from, from shame from a therapeutical perspective and from a theological perspective? Okay, the first one, therapeutical perspective. So I think in terms of therapy, the first step that we would need to take to rid ourselves from shame, is to practice self-compassion. It's to practice self-compassion. And the thing is, is that we're all in the same boat in the sense that every one of us mess up in life. None of us are perfect. We're all imperfect creatures. We're all imperfect people. That none of us are perfect. And I think there's great consolation in that. There's a sense of relief in that. uh, That all of us are in the same boat. That all of us are imperfect. And I think... um, well, all of us deal with shame in some form or another, is what I'm saying. And Jordan Peterson, he, he, he says this quite well. It's one of his chapters in his, um, in his uh, Twelve Rules of Life book. And he says that we ought to take care of ourselves just as we would take care of somebody that we love. And, and I think that's a great rule in life. Uh, and again, shame would not want you to do that. But that's exactly what we need to do. We need to take care of ourselves just as we would take care of somebody that we love. Practice self-compassion, be kind to yourself, uh, take it easy, you know, it's it's, it's not easy uh, dealing with shame and so, so that would be the first step. And I say self-compassion opposed to self-love because I think there's a big difference between self-compassion and self-love, uh, which I will probably get into in another episode, uh, so stay tuned for that one. Uh, but practice self-compassion, be kind to yourself, treat yourself just as you would uh, take care of somebody that you love. Another step that we can take when it comes to breaking free from shame, uh, from a therapeutical perspective, is that we need to connect with people around us. Connect with those whom you love and those who love you as well in return. Uh, Because like we mentioned before, the first thing that shame will always drive you to do is it drives you to disconnection. It drives you to isolation. It drives you to separate yourself from those who you love. Don't do it. Don't do it. It'll only ever be detrimental to your life if you do that. And so talk to someone that you trust about how you're feeling. If you're feeling like you've done something wrong and you you feel a, a, a vast sense of shame, a sense of worthlessness, reach out to someone. Talk to someone that you trust. Talk to a pastor. Talk to a counselor. Talk to a friend or, or a family member. Uh, somebody that you trust uh, and, and talk to them about it. And make that real connection and stick with it. Because if you're you're ever operating in shame or feeling shame, you want to make that a top priority. And like I mentioned before as well, a reason why we don't do that is because to make a genuine connection with someone, it requires us to be vulnerable. And so I suppose when it comes to overcoming shame and making that connection, a sense of bravery does need to be undertaken. That we do need to be brave and we do need to, to gain a sense of courage uh, to be vulnerable with those around us, uh, and I know it's hard because you know, if you're like me, neurotic and emotional, then um, and you've done something wrong, you want to make amends with someone. You can barely get the words out before the tears come and you start crying, and it's all emotional. And and so sometimes it's easier to be like, ah, oh, look, I'll just be strong and harbour it. Don't do it. Don't do that. We're not designed to harbour our shame. We're not even designed to have shame in the first place. Uh, and so, so let go of it. And I know that it's hard. It's a price to pay because it's not easy to be vulnerable with people. Um, but when you pay that price and when you open yourself up to someone that you trust, you will absolutely reap the benefits in the long run. And you'll break the shame off your life. That's how we break shame from our lives is through connection, through connection. Okay, so let's take a look at how do we break free from shame from a theological perspective. So we've talked about from a therapy. How about from a theological perspective? And I think breaking free from shame is one of those things that it's probably easier said than done. And we can look at a a, a saying, you know, perhaps people have said before as Christians, you know, yes, like, Jesus died on the cross and bore my shame so that I wouldn't have to experience shame again, okay? He bore my sin and shame so that I wouldn't have to feel shame anymore. It's, It's a quote which I'm sure a lot of us have thought, but it's perhaps one of those that, it's easier said, but to apply that to our lives is quite difficult. What does that truly mean, that he bore our shame so that we wouldn't have to experience it? So I want to bring some context from a historical perspective. Have you ever noticed how, if you're looking at a picture or a painting of Jesus or a sculpture of Jesus uh, on a cross, how many times do you see him wearing a loincloth? A lot, right? He always seen, He's always got some sort of cloth around his, his private area, I, I suppose you could say. Um, very rarely would you see a painting or a sculpture or a piece of art of Christ where he's totally and completely naked. Uh, which is interesting because that's not actually historically accurate. I think the consensus from a historical point of view is that he most certainly would have been completely naked on the cross. How do we know that? Well, we know I think from two ways. Number one, because the Romans back then were very barbaric people, they were not interested in modesty whatsoever. In fact, the goal of crucifixion was to humili- humiliate the, the criminal as much as possible, to strip as much dignity as way, away from those who were crucified as much as possible. They wanted total humiliation, and so the way that they would have total humiliation would be to nail them to a cross completely naked, which represents uh, a complete loss of dignity, right? Uh, and so there's that. But then, secondly, is that back then clothes were very different to what they were like today. For example, you can go to the local store and buy a T-shirt for five bucks or whatever. But back then, clothes were very costly. Clothes were often hand woven. Uh, they were very garments were were costly items of of clothing that that people wanted or people wouldn't treat glibly. And so, what would happen back then is that. The executioners, rather than receiving payments through denarii or, or through through money, they would often receive payments through clothes. And so, those who executed Christ on the cross um, would would receive the clothes. In fact, the Bible talks about it: how the soldiers cast lots for for the seamless robe that Jesus had. And so, they would receive clothes as payment. And so, it wouldn't wouldn't make sense then for an executioner to leave. Uh, a, a portion of clothing to cover the loin of, uh, to cover the private parts of Jesus or, or whatever, or to leave any clothes whatsoever, they would take all of it because it's costly stuff and they could sell it. Uh, and so it's it's, it's, it's historically uh, verified, I would say, that Christ would have been completely naked on the cross. So then the question is so then why do we always see him wearing a loincloth? And this is just something to ponder. This is something from a theological perspective to ponder. And perhaps the reason why that is, is because maybe collectively, well maybe it's an example of uh, how us as humans, collectively are embarrassed or struggle to let go of shame. We struggle to let go of it. We can't bear to see our savior hanging in total shame with not an ounce of dignity left. So what we do is we feebly attempt to try and dress him (laughs) uh but by doing this we we're denying the payment that Christ paid for us and I know it's just an interesting thought but uh and there's lots you can think about, but what I'm trying to say is we we become it's almost like the statement Jesus bore my shame so that we would never have to experience shame again it's almost like it's too good to be true. And a part of us subconsciously says, no, it's too good to be true. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for this person's sin and for this person's sin, but he couldn't possibly have done it for me. I I mean, what I have done is too wrong. What I have done is too shameful. That for someone to give himself completely, it it, it doesn't make sense. I'm just going to, I must atone for my own sin. Therefore, it's the equivalent of putting the loincloth back on Jesus. No, you have some of your dignity back and I'll take that shame. That's what we do, right? But of course, the problem with that is that if we try to atone for our own sin and our our own shame, which we never can, by the way, then that that disables Christ from being able to cover us, which is the purpose of him dying on a cross. We're actually denying his death by doing that. Uh, and so... That was the point of, of Christ on the cross was that he exposed himself entirely on the cross so that in exchange he could cover us <laughs> so that uh, w- so when we don't accept the full exposure of Christ because we're too ashamed of what he's done by what we've done, then he can't cover us. When we try to cover our own sin, it's like trying to put the loincloth back on Jesus. And so what must we do to break away from shame uh, from a theological perspective is that we must accept Christ in his total nakedness. We must accept that he died once and for all for every single sin on this earth, that there is nothing that you have done that is too shameful, that is, that is uh, disqualified from his forgiveness. We must understand that. We must run to him. And bringing it back to, um, to Adam and Eve, you know, it's interesting because <laughs> Adam said, I was naked and so I hid. That's what he said to God. But see, Jesus Christ says, I was naked so that you would never need to hide again. He was totally naked on the cross, and he knew it, but he took on that shame. He took on that, 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 that um, loss of dignity so that we would never be in shame, so that we would be covered by his grace, covered by his mercy, covered by his forgiveness. Okay. So how do we break free from shame from a theological perspective? We run to Christ. We expose our sin to him so that he can cover us. Because unless, well, let's put it this way, if we try to cover our sin, then it ends up being exposed. But if we expose our sin and our shame to Christ, then he can cover us because he paid that payment naked on the cross for us, that payment of shame. Okay. So just some thought to think about. I hope that's helped you a lot. That's our final episode actually of the season. And it's been a wild ride so far. Um, the next season will be coming out in a few months. I'm not sure how long, but it will be coming out soon. Got lots of things planned for that new season, but Just as a final encouragement, um, I guess those three things you could say from a therapy therapy point of view and a theological point of view. Number one, practice self-compassion. Number two, uh, connect with those around you. And then number three, take your shame to Christ. Take it to Christ. Allow Him to cover you and allow Him to to forgive you of what you've done wrong. Okay? Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really hope that you got a lot out of it. And we will see you not so long from now for the next season season 2 of Real Talk with Kane Adams we'll see you then